Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Today we are doing a once-off talk because it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Did you know that Valentine's Day is a big deal in the world? It's maybe not such a big deal in Jersey. Maybe it is. How many of you plan to give a Valentine's gift or card or message to somebody. Just put your hand up. Actually, maybe you, now I'm giving away secrets, aren't I? <laughs> Do you remember when it used to be a time for people to give a secret, a secret thing? Do you remember that? When I was 10, I got a Valentine's card from a girl in my class, and it was anonymous, and I still don't know to this day who it was. <laughs> I don't know what I was missing out on. Who knows? <laughs> and then I made a blunder. When I was 14, there was a girl called Rebecca, who I liked. <laughs> and on Valentine's Day, I sent a message. I said, will you be my girlfriend? And then I never talked to her again. <laughs> I'm so sorry. If this is going out in the World Wide Web, I'm so sorry, Rebecca, wherever you are. <laughs> Awful, isn't it? I've got a few statistics about Valentine's Day. Women purchase more than 85% of the non-flower gifts bought on Valentine's Day. 85% of cards and gifts bought on Valentine's Day are by women. 73% of people who buy flowers are men. Did you listen to who gets the most gifts or the most messages on Valentine's Day? Teachers receive the most Valentine's Day cards. Isn't that interesting? Followed by children, then mothers, then wives, then husbands, sweethearts, and lastly, pets. About 20% of pet owners give Valentine's gifts to their pets. American consumers spent $886 million on gifts for their pets on Valentine's Day last year. How many of you are planning to give a Valentine's gift to your pet? No? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Every Valentine's Day, the city in Italy, the city of Verona, scene of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, receives a thousand letters addressed to Juliet. Fifteen percent of U.S. women send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day. Over a billion, one billion dollars worth of chocolate is purchased for Valentine's Day in the U.S. Isn't that amazing? Nine million marriage proposals are expected to be made. 1.9 million Facebook users are expected to change their relationship status within a week of Valentine's Day. And the first Valentine's message was sent in 1415. But I want to talk about what God says about romance and love. It's important that we cover this at some stage in our sermons, that we talk about how does a person find a, a mate or a spouse or a partner um, in God's plan. And so I want to talk about two stories, if I have the time today. Ruth, who found a husband called Boaz, and Rebecca, who found a husband called Isaac. And if I have the time, I'll get through both of them. And it's important for us to see God's plan and the way that he does things, but also 
Every time the Bible speaks of love and romance and marriage, there is a strong link to our relationship with God. So the whole book of the Song of Solomon is an extraordinarily romantic and and, uh, erotic book, but it, it has undertones of our relationship with our Savior, and all through the Bible it speaks of it. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is speaking about marriage, but he's also speaking about the church and Christ. And so all of these have applications, but let's focus on this story first of all. So Genesis chapter 24, verse uh, 1. Now Abraham was old well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. So In this picture, Abraham the father is involving a servant to find a wife for Isaac. And the strong picture here is that God your father and the Holy Spirit are actively looking for a a partner for you. You don't need to worry about it. Notice that Isaac was not involved in this process. He had maybe said to his father, I need a wife, but it was the father who was actively looking. That doesn't mean we as parents should matchmake for our children. It means God, our heavenly father, is looking for the right partner for you, and you can rest in that. Amen? I I was... I don't know what the word is. I was like the rest of the world. I was a, a, a person who dated when I was a young man before I became a Christian and then just after, and I heard a talk. One of my leaders in my youth group gave a talk about how God doesn't want us to keep dating lots and lots of people and practicing for relationships and then breaking up and dating someone else and breaking up because it's just getting into the habit of breaking up and divorcing. And and the first time I heard that, I was shocked. And I happened to be going out with someone at the time And so I said, Lord, I'm going to break this off until you tell me. And within a a matter of about two weeks, God gave me so many messages that I shouldn't break it off. But actually, she was the one I was going to marry. And, And she is my wife. And we've been married 30 years now. But God has a plan. And when we put ourselves in his plan, he leads us into the right plan. So verse 12, then he said, oh, Lord God. So this is the servant now. He travels to the place of uh, the family and the, the people who serve God to look for a wife for Isaac. And he prays, oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He was looking for character and kindness. Obviously, first of all, he went to the people who were the people of God to look for a partner for Isaac, but then he was looking for character and kindness. Now, don't get me wrong. I think looks and physical attractiveness are a big part 
of relationships, but they're not the only parts. Amen? You can have the most beautiful looking husband or wife, but if their character is not right for you, you will have a miserable life. Amen? So he looks for the right type of lady. She turns out to be a beautiful, generous person who's working hard. She gives water to him and his camels. She's just super generous, super kind. I'm jumping ahead to verse 50, where they now go back and meet her family. And the servant is speaking to the family. And it says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered, answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Verse 55, But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. Verse 57, so they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. This speaks of involving wisdom from a larger group, your parents or your church or people who know you. And this is what they did. They involved the family. But there was a point where Rebekah, the young lady, had to stand up for herself because her mum didn't want to let her go. And she had to say, I'm going, mum. And she went. And this is a very important principle, is to not go to one extreme or the other. The one extreme is we completely ignore outside guidance. And we just say, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And my parents and my church don't know what they're talking about. Or the, the other extreme is to say, I'm just going to do whatever my parents say. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And that's also wrong. There has to be a middle ground where we involve others. And it was beautiful because they prayed and they were involved and they blessed her as she went. But she stood up on her own two feet and said, I'm now an independent person making my own choices. And then verse 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. So Isaac is, just think of it from his point of view. He's unaware of what's going on. He doesn't know that his dad and the servant have been actively looking for the right person for him and have found her and are bringing her to him. He doesn't know. What is he doing? Is he running around from relationship to relationship trying to find the right one? Is he going to the nightclubs where he might find her? No, he's working in the field and he's praying. Just amazing. Where will you be when God brings your spouse to you? Will you have somebody else on your arm? Listen to what happened. And he was meditating in the field. He lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. Verse 67. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So he was comforted after his mother's death. That's a beautiful story. Now, obviously, it's old culture from thousands of years ago, but there are principles. Whenever we read God's word, I'm just going to give you a little insight here. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us 
because God knew we would be eavesdropping on this story 3,000 years later, and God put it in his word so that we could extract the principles that are timeless and say, God, how do you behave? God, what is your will for me? God, what is good and what is bad for humans, and how can I apply all of that to my life? And I'm just going to encourage you, if you're a parent with teenagers, Try and use these principles. Involve God. Trust Him to know who is the right partner. And then go through these principles of looking for character and kindness and being serving God rather than running around after other things and trust Him to bring the right person. Amen. Just another quick story. So Ruth was a Moabitess, which means she was not an Israelite. There was a lady called Naomi, and uh, there was a whole family, and they went out of Israel to Moab, and all of the men in the family died. Naomi's husband died, her two sons uh, died, and they had married women, and one of them was Ruth. So now you're left with three widows in a foreign land, Naomi, Ruth, and another lady. And the other lady eventually goes, Naomi says to her, go, I can't look after you anymore. But Ruth stays with her mother-in-law. And in Ruth 1 verse 15, she said, look, your sister-in-law, this is Naomi speaking, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. The reason I love this story is because it's a story of tragedy and failure, and it shouldn't have worked, but God worked away. And it relates so well to me, but to many people I know, we haven't done things God's way, and the devil has had a field day in our family lives and messed things up, and we've messed things up, and other people have hurt us. And we're a bit like Ruth. We're a foreigner. We're not an Israelite. We've had tragedy. We've messed up. And yet God says, I will work a plan and bring beauty out of it. And Ruth became the, I think it's the great-grandmother of King David, and God worked great things through her. But it starts off with her wanting to put herself in the right place before God. She says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be honorable. I'm going to do the right thing. Even in the midst of tragedy, I'm not going to veer off the track. If I suffer, it's not going to be because of my sin. I'm going to trust God. And so she stayed with her mother-in-law, and they went back to Israel. And she said, your God will be my God. She put her hands in the, in the, she put herself in the hands of God. Chapter 2, verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheep. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter. 
will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, with his young woman and that people do not meet you in any other field. So again, it's character and kindness. Ruth is just working hard and she's trying to provide for her mother-in-law and she's just getting on with it. She's keeping her head down and doing what God has given her to do. She's not looking around. And Boaz, who was called a kinsman redeemer. In other words, there was some family link. He was related to her husband's family. And so he had some link, but God brought them together supernaturally. And he notices her. And now we get to a place where she puts herself out there a little bit. She notices him, he notices her. Her mother-in-law says, yeah, this is a good guy for you. And in chapter 3, verse 3, the mother-in-law, Naomi, says to Ruth, therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Verse 11, um, he notices her. He wakes up in the middle of the night and she's sleeping at the bottom of the, the floor. He's on the threshing floor. So, so what happened here was at the end of harvest, after the season is finished, they gather all the, all the wheat and all the grain and they thresh it. They, they're processing the wheat and they're working. And because it's such a hard job, they have to sleep in the workplace Overnight, All the workers sleep together in the workplace. And uh, Naomi says to Ruth, go and just sleep next to him. God will organize this. But Ruth puts on her best clothes and she makes herself look as good as she can. She, she does her part. She's, she's not just trusting God alone. She's also making herself look nice. And what happens is Boaz wakes up in the night, verse 11, and he says, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative, however, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty, then I will perform the duty as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she makes the first move. This is quite a surprising story. The lady makes the first move in this one. She approaches him, but she does it in, in a righteous way. She does it in a public place where there's lots of other people. It's, there's no hint of impropriety here, but she makes known to him that she's interested. And he responds in the right way. He says, let me just check the rules. There might be somebody else who's also a kinsman redeemer who should do this duty of looking after your family. Let me check with him. He goes away and he checks. And in chapter four, he decides, yes, I will do it. And he buys all their debts and he looks after the family. And at the end of chapter four, 
Uh, a son was born, and they called his name Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the, the, the line of lineage that brought Jesus into the world was very much affected by Ruth, a foreign lady who'd been through tragedy, who'd been married before, but she went through things the correct way. Why am I saying all this and how does this affect us? Friends, the first point is that God is very interested in our relationships and our romantic relationships. Derek Prince has written a book called God is a Matchmaker, and I would recommend that book. God is interested. It's not that we are going outside of God's will when we start thinking about finding a partner or a romantic um, engagement of some sort. That, that is part of God's plan. But what we got to do is say, God, how do you want me to do it? And he says, focus on character, focus on righteousness, focus on people who love God, do things my way and trust me and involve others who you trust to pray with you and to help you and to guide you. And God leads us into this process. Now, I must be clear that because we fall in a, we live in a fallen world, sometimes I think young Christian people think, if I can just find the right person, they'll be the perfect person. And they will never sin. And they will never be angry. And they will never let me down. And they almost make that person like Jesus. And they say, this person will now be my savior. And they will meet all my needs, my emotional needs and my spiritual needs. And it'll be heaven. And then they get married. And those of us who have been married will attest to this. After a first, the first few hours or days or weeks, you realize very quickly, they're just a human being. Just like me. And I'm just a human being. I'm not the perfect savior for them. And so we have to be aware and be real that we live in a fallen world. And so someone has said something very wise. They said, the person that God brings for you will not be the perfect person, but they will be the perfect person for you. In other words, God has a plan. And sometimes their weaknesses and their failures are, are meant to conflict with, with yours so that you both grow closer to Jesus. It's never going to be just all roses and, you, you know, everything's easy and lovely. But God has a plan for you. And I just want to speak now to the 99.9% .9 of us who have fallen and failed in this area. You know... We, we sometimes come to church with masks on and we think everyone's perfect. Everyone's got perfect relationships. Everyone's got a perfect background. They've never sinned. They don't have temptations. So let me put on my perfect mask. And we walk into church and we say, I'm also perfect. And we're all just fooling each other because none of us is perfect. All of us have failed. All of us are tempted. All of us have messed up in the past. And I want to say to you that God is in the business of redeeming of changing, of, of using all the past failures and sins and things that have happened to you and weaving them together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so I'm going to encourage us today to put our romantic lives in God's hands. Somebody wrote a book called My Heart, God's Home, 
And they used the illustration of a house, and they said, in your house you've got a kitchen, which is where you, you look after your, your physical needs, and you've got a, a lounge where you rest and relax, and you've got a study where you work, and you've got a workshop where you create things. And they were saying, you've got all these parts of your life, and Jesus wants to be the Lord of your whole house, not just one room or one day a week or one little part of your life. He wants to be involved in all your life. And our romantic relationships and our sexual past failures are often one room that we want to keep Jesus out of because we are ashamed. I want to give you some news. Jesus already knows what's in that room. He's completely aware. He loves you and he has a plan for redemption and to put things right and to to give you a new plan A from today onwards. And one last point. Jesus was single, and he was a happy person, and he was the Son of God, and he was perfect. And so if you are single, it doesn't mean you are less of a person. It doesn't mean you are um, incomplete. God may well have a plan for you, but maybe he doesn't. And the best thing to do is to say, Lord, wherever I am right now, I'm just going to serve you and make the most of it and get on with what you've given me to do. And if God has a plan, he will bring the right person to you. So I'm going to ask us to pray right now. Let's give God all the rooms in our house right now. Lord God, I invite you, first of all, into the front door. If you have never invited Jesus into your life, maybe you have never made that invitation. You've never gone to that length of saying, Jesus, I invite you to come in and be the Lord of my life. I'm encouraging you to do that right now. Right now. Before I move on, I want you to have this chance to invite Jesus into your life. Say, Lord, I've been trying to do things of my own ability. I've been trying to be good enough and obey all the rules to please you. But I need you to come in and take ownership of my life. Jesus, I invite you in. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, you just need to say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Please come in. Do that right now, and he will answer you. And then come and let us know afterwards if you've done that. But then for the rest of us who have done that, I'm asking you now to imagine every room in your house. Say, Lord, be in charge of my rest area. Be in charge of my study and work area. Be in charge of my finance. Be in charge of that little closet where I've hidden things that I'm ashamed of. Be in charge of every area, including my romantic life and my past failures. Jesus, I give it to you. Please, would you wash it? Please, would you renew me? And please, would you put me on the path that you have for me? Lord, I want to do things your way. And now just receive the love, the forgiveness, the healing, the favor of the Lord as he touches your heart right now. Come Holy Spirit, I pray. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.